0: like in life with most things we do sometimes make decisions for instant gratification that have adverse effects on us down the line
1: like what <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh so many things premarital sex
1: taco bell
0: yeah processed foods um murder like manslaughter you know i always thought it was man's laughter man's laughter it's very joker of you aha, aha. <laughs> isn't there a scene in the dark night where the joker is in a truck and it says something laughter on the side and he just puts an, an S on the beginning and it becomes slaughter.
1: Yeah, it's slaughter is the best medicine.
0: Oh, yeah. What a funny guy. Speaking of Batman.
1: Yeah, we had a DC day on Saturday. Woo! Where <laughs> Wonder Brothers tries to show, hey, we, we're cool too. Over on the other side, Disney is just laughing. But yeah, I didn't really enjoy much of what happened, to be honest. I thought I would be more excited. Well, we did get a new Robert Pattinson's The Batman trailer. The Batman. The Batman. Um, Again. Matt Reeves. (laughs) Matt Reeves is the director. A lot of people are hyped for this.
0: You say that like you're surprised. (laughs) You don't want another gritty, not very faithful to the comics Batman adaptation?
1: I've got to be honest with myself and uh, And our listeners. The actual character of Batman. No. (laughs) (laughs) Most of these iterations of Batman are not the true Batman from the comics. And so far, I have not been impressed with what I've seen from Matt Reeves' Batman. Wow. Looks like just another iteration of, like, a Chris Nolan gritty Batman. I'm just like, we just finished this. We had something really good with Batfleck going, and now that's dead in the water, so... Here we are. Well this looks Warner Brothers so- was like, well, Chris Nolan's Batman worked. Let's try to do that again.
0: Uh, anyone out there want to do it? Yeah, Matt? Oh okay, you're cool. Yeah, let's do that. Sean's good. I'm curious who sought who or whom? Who sought whom for this project? If Matt Reeves was like, Oh I wanna do Batman super so
1: Matt Reeves was uh he had been pitching I guess for a while before Zack Snyder and was trying to set up the Justice League Matt Reeves had pitched a Batman and so this had been in the works for a long time and they always liked his pitch but they're were like we're gonna go with Snyder and they circled back to Matt Reeves interesting
0: I don't know. This Pattinson looks like it's trying to capture some of the essence of Batfleck in terms of his physicality. He doesn't have the bulk of Ben Affleck, but he has that brutal, he looks like he's going to clock some skulls. I don't know. The, the trailer, the new trailer, I mean, both the trailers, I was a fan of. I don't have as much attachment to the source material as you, but from what I've seen, it looks pretty cool. You got Batman just reflecting bullets in the dark. That was the best part. That was neat. Even just I also from
1: like that. how angry he seems. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's really just ready to mess things up. He's super grunge. But it almost <laughs> seems like Robert Pattinson like is playing angry instead of actually angry. You know, He's acting. <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of Christian Bale's Batman either. So my opinion is very unpopular. I adhere <laughs> to Batman as a character, the comic books only, mm-hmm. because Batman is in my top three favorite comic book characters of all time. So Who's, I'm very nitpicky. Okay. Same with Spider-Man. I'm nitpicky with the Spider-Man films. You know, I just got to take what I get because I guess they're owned by institutions.
0: Yeah, big institutions. What did you think of the Black Adam tease? With the walk? The walk? The rock. <laughs> with the walk. Wayne Watson? The walk? <laughs> <laughs> Wabbits.
1: <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that question because I'm just...
0: DC has some interesting series. The walk. The walk. <laughs> <laughs> My first thought went to a Chinese restaurant. <laughs>
1: yeah, cooking the meat. But, but the uh, no, Doom, you're right. Like Doom all, Patrol. Yeah, all the uh, shows are pretty good. The Flash show being one of the best, I
0: think. Oh, and we did see a Flash movie tease too, didn't we? That actually looks cool. I'm excited about that. With uh, Ezra Miller. Well, I was going to say Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton. I think is we heard his voice right, but we also saw his no neck bat cowl. He turns his whole body when he has to look around. (laughs) Incredible. I'm so excited to see that again. And the old Batmobile. That'll be good. Gonna buy a Lego set.
1: You making fun of me?
0: No, I wouldn't. I would never. But ultimately, that's not why we're here today. What are we here for today?
1: You saw another double feature.
0: I did. Without me. I would have loved to have you with me. (laughs) Me
1: too. (laughs) But we're here to pick apart one film and then, in the best way, pick apart the other film. Yeah. Let's, in the worst way, pick apart the first film that you saw.
0: So I saw two movies. The first one was the new David Gordon Green Halloween Kills, which is the sequel in a three-part movie trilogy. I guess that's what a trilogy is. It's normally three parts. It's the sequel of a new trilogy that is a sequel to the original Halloween film from John Carpenter, 1978. The first of this new trilogy was 2017, 2018 with Halloween there's a thing in <laughs> reinventing horror franchises from the 70s and 80s and 90s where they're just going to reuse the name of the original film. They're doing that with Scream. Oh, yeah. This year or next year. And so in 2018, 2017, they remade Halloween. Or not remade. Again, it was a sequel to the original. Disregarding. They brought back the same cast. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis Jamie Lee back. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. She was great. She continues to be great, even though she did nothing in the new movie. I have
1: one question about Halloween Kills. Lay does, it on me.
0: I'm on open book. Does Jamie Lee Curtis die? no really she does not does her daughter die um so here are the spoilers for <laughs> halloween kills her daughter does die yeah judy greer is that her name jamie lee curtis spent all 90 uh, percent of halloween kills in a hospital bed <laughs> and her daughter and granddaughter were more of a force judy greer is great she dies at the end of the movie basically setting up the third film which will happen presumably perhaps after a time skip
1: do they explain how he doesn't age or like doesn't die
0: god i have so much to say about that that it's gonna become its own podcast i'll keep it brief keep it Um, brief just say yes or no it's hinted at that he is immortal some kind of supernatural force transcending the typical human limitations of our time but it's not explicitly stated and they go to great lengths in this movie and often very like silly ambiguous ways to keep it ambiguous even yeah. though Jamie Lee Curtis says towards the end of the film in the trailer even mm-hmm. that Michael is more than just a man that he transcends as he kills. But I think I've read that David Gordon Green and the producers want to not fully embrace the supernatural side. they want to keep him more of a man, even though in this film he more than just a man. Michael Myers or the Shape, as some know him. What do you mean, the shape? That's what... They call him the shape? Yeah, that's his uh, iconic... I don't think he took that name on in the first film, but at some point he became known as the shape. That's just... That's what... Who calls him that? If you Google the shape... It'll, Jamie Lee Curtis calls him that in the movie? No. some At some point, he, the Michael Miles just beca- became known as the shape. Yeah, and he's credited as the shape in some of the... What? Uh, I thought he was Michael Myers. He is Michael Myers. That's his name. But he's also known as the Shape. I don't think they call That's him that. The worst
1: name ever. It's kind of cool. It's kind of like no. It's n- it's not. No.
0: No. All right. Well, it's like if I called you <laughs> the white guy. Man. <laughs> he's a horror icon, Steven. You wouldn't get it. You don't. You don't know. Anyway, this Halloween Kills was was pretty not good. That's the verbatim text I sent to Steven
1: after I saw it. Yeah, the most intriguing thing that you sent me was that the characters just make terrible choices, which is the thing yeah. that we're always talking about in horror films.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a trope. But I think you can make good horror without it, even if it's not auteur. Like Sure. Like any Flanagan or James Wan. There's, so,
1: so why were they bad in this movie?
0: It was comically bad. And, and it was beyond camp and cheese in such a way that I need to come up with a new term for it. It was like commune. It was like... It was was,
1: like a collective
0: badness. It was just the worst decisions being made, coalescing with the absolute worst luck for our protagonists, like guns just not being loaded, like Rube Goldberg machine style of this this is really unfortunate that our person was standing here at this time. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then also in that way Michael Myers is an extremely fortunate person for those guns to not be loaded and he can really take a beating the film ends with the whole film is about mob mentality and the town of Haddonfield embraces this is the only interesting part of the movie to me besides the gore which is great it really earned its R rating but the movie is about mob mentality and it's like the town has has become the monster and the way there are uh, they're, like, frothing at the mouth for blood to end this 40-year reign of terror that Michael has brought. Even though Michael's not even, like, scheming to do this, it's just sort of like he's, a, like I said, an elemental force, and he's just here to kill and hang out at his house. But the town, at one point in the film, becomes this this crazy, bloodthirsty mob, and they cause a man to, like, commit suicide by jumping off of a building because they think he's the killer and he just, he's a, one of the other crazies that broke out when Michael did in the last film. Mm. And then the town like comes to their senses. They're like, oh no, we're the monsters here. We're the evil. <laughs> it's a really interesting way to present the theme of this film, but it's uh it was pretty ham fisted and the dialogue was just really rough. The writing very poor. And like I said, the characters just making <laughs> The worst decisions michael myers has some great kills at one point he gives this lovely gay couple <laughs> <laughs> so a, a, this be, this lovely gay couple has has turned michael's childhood home into like uh, a nice living space <laughs> he goes back and he just he does the mountain on on uh, the viper from game of thrones where he gr- he clutches the skull of one of the individuals and he just uh, you know, does the put puts the thumbs in the eyes and mm-hmm. kills them that way. Very gruesome. Very gruesome movie. I would not recommend seeing this if you're at all squeamish. But then again, that's the only reason why I would recommend this film is if you're into that. Uh, but overall, just kind of a disappointing entry in the franchise. The 2017-18 film had some interesting life in it. It reinvigorated the franchise. But this was not, I think... A great follow-up. I am curious to see where they will go with the third film because I don't think they want to ever kill Michael, the producers. They're like, we're just going to keep Michael around. We'll kill everybody else. Yeah. Because he he killed like half the town in this movie. (laughs) Anyway, that was the less interesting film that I saw that night. I went from that into The Last Duel, which is the main reason why we wanted to record a little podcast today. Ridley Scott's new film. Yeah. Called he, The Last Duel. Ridley Scott's in his 80s and he's still turning out. He has two movies this year. Yes. I don't know if that's because of the pandemic or not. Maybe. But he is this and then House of Gucci very soon. Both, which looked pretty interesting. Both starring Adam Driver. And so, Lady Gaga. Yeah. No, she wasn't in this one. But, but The Last Duel was really good. I'm just going to open with that. It was very good. And it has bombed at the box office like really bad. And apparently Halloween Kills is really turning it in, especially for its budget, because you know how horror films are. And, you know, Venom 2 is still riding the wave. Bond's doing his thing. That's true. Venom 2 is still doing really well. And it breaks my heart because you have these short studio abominations of cinema. I don't want to be pretentious, but those are really bad movies they are making a lot of money. And The Last Duel is going to be Left by the Wayside and probably Forgotten to Time. But it is very good.
1: Well, I want to talk about it. I want to know why it's good.
0: Yeah. Ridley
1: Scott, as a director, has had a lot of amazing films come out. He's been around for a long time. He's part of that auteur, kind of 70s art filmmaker wave.
0: It's funny because he came from commercials. That was how he got his start. So he knows what sells.
1: And then rode into a lot of success with multiple films, one of them being Gabe's favorite, uh, the 80s
0: Blade Runner. Alien, I think, might be my other favorite movie of all time. Really? Not including, like... No, yeah, that might be it. (laughs) He he did, in a row, two of my favorite films of all time.
1: Mm -hmm. He also did this very popular, famous movie
0: called Gladiator. I want to say the year 2000. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It was 2000, you're right. He also has some stinkers. He did... uh, (laughs) That's true. He did Exodus Gods and Kings, uh, amongst others, The Counselor. But I think, for the most part, his... Incredible films will outweigh his his stinkers in the long run. And I think The Last Duel is...
1: You said the last one that you liked of his
0: was The Martian, which was I liked it too. It was really good. It just didn't really... The Martian, uh, everybody liked The Martian. I didn't love it. It was very good and technically uh, very proficient. Ridley Scott is an, a, is an incredible director, but it didn't really do anything for me personally like The Last Duel did. So I'd say the last movie Ridley Scott did that really got me going... I don't know. It was maybe Prometheus. Despite its flaws, I really liked Prometheus. I love Prometheus. I mean, there are a lot of problems with Prometheus, but it's very good.
1: And then he also directed a couple episodes of Raised by Wolves last year.
0: Yeah, yeah. that show was kind of his brainchild. I don't think we did much of a cast on that. Maybe We, we... didn't even talk about it. I watched it, and it was something to behold. <laughs>
1: I watched about
0: four episodes of it before I decided it wasn't for me. It
1: was a treat. That show
0: is interesting.
1: So let's talk about the premise of the last tool, because it's super fascinating, and it's actually a true historical event, right? Yeah,
0: based on a true story.
1: Oh, based on a true
0: story. I don't know how <laughs> incredibly accurate they are in their Hollywood dramatization of this event. But yeah, it's basically in feudal 14th century France. This is the story of basically what is known to be the last trial by combat, maybe in Europe. I don't know. It's made known in this film's story that it it hasn't even happened for a while up to that point. But this man, Jean de Courouge, or whatever his name is, played by Matt Damon, brings out the ways of old to take Adam Driver's character to case.
1: Jacques Legree.
0: Yep, because he said, she said that Adam Driver had physically assaulted and raped his wife, played by Jodie Comer. Marguerite de Courouge. Thank you, because I, I'm not doing these names. <laughs> but yeah, that's the story
1: of the film. Who is Nicole that his mom?
0: Yeah, that's his mom.
1: Ben Affleck's in this movie.
0: Yes, Ben Affleck plays this incredible Count Pierre, who is this debaucherous, honestly hilarious. He's most of the comedy of the film, and this film does have some great humor in it. He's this character that is basically the, the benefactor of Adam Driver's character, and uh, it's like their team, and then on the other side, you have Matt Damon and his... A wife. But he's a great little flavor to this film. Apparently, he worked on the script with Matt Damon for Ridley, as well as Nicole Holofcener for this movie, which is basically a period piece retelling of the Me Too movement, because this film is about the rape of a woman, and she comes forward with the accusation against the man. And basically, it's even though there are so many social differences for the time period, so much of it is incredibly relevant and timely for our own modern setting. Like, you know, not believing the woman at all and just sort of disregarding her, not only her story, but the way she is kind of seen as, you know, property of the man. And I guess this will be my segue into describing the format of the movie, which is incredibly important to the discussion, not just of the movie by itself, but of the themes of the movie. So this movie was told in a pretty conventional three-act structure, but each act is the perspective of one character, one of the three primary characters of the film, in their retelling of the events of the course of 20 years, I think, that culminate in the rape and then the subsequent duel to the death of Adam Driver and Matt Damon. So the first act of the story, the first third, is Matt Damon's story, or his perspective, rather, on that time period. And then the second is Adam Driver's, and then the third is Jodie Comer's, and that's where the story really comes together and solidifies, and you get to see a lot of her. And she is not only the heart of this movie, but just did an incredible job. She, I'd never seen her before. She's an amazing actress. Actor? Actress?
1: She played Ray's mom in episode 9.
0: I saw that credit, and I couldn't tell you what... Happened in the rise of Palpatine, other than
1: she was most <laughs> the rise of hate. she was most recently in Free Guy with Ryan. Oh, that's Reynolds.
0: right, yeah, did recognize her from the trailer. Haven't seen that and movie, probably won't. From the popular Killing Eve. Yeah, she's only a year older than me. She's twenty eight. Yeah, and she's. I think I can't say this film will be like the inception of her like breakout of her career because she's already been picking up steam. And like I said, not a lot of people are actually watching this movie, but she is incredible radiant, not only in her you know, physical beauty, but the nuances in her performance are really quite something. She's got the chops. So like I said, the movie is divided into the three parts. And each time you see another character's perspective, more depth is added to the story culminating in Jodie Comer's, who is her perspective is, I guess, the closest to truth as you would get. And you do see her rape twice in the film, once in Adam Driver's act and then once in hers. It's not Very explicit. There's no genitalia or nudity, but it is very intense, and it's several minutes. In terms of like Adam Driver barges into the keep or the castle and forces himself upon her. The interesting thing about those two different perspectives is they're they're really not that different. There are little nuances to show in each person's perspective of what happened, and this is the way of Adam Driver, his character Jacques, not really seeing what he did as rape. he There's a lot of subtlety to the way...
1: Does she, like, flirt with him or make, make him think that he has the...
0: They had a couple flirty encounters in years previous, but when he comes up to the castle and she's alone, everyone is away, including her husband, there's no flirtatiousness there. Hmm. Uh, it's very much just fear from her side, especially in her remembrance of those events. And she's, you know, like, screaming. She's like, please no, that sort of thing. And so he takes her as they say in the movie, carnally, and uh, he just doesn't see what he did as being wrong. In the ensuing events with him being taken to court and then eventually challenged in the duel, he never at any point recognizes that what he did was really rape. It was like a customary, almost customary like courtship, like cat and mouse game of the time for a man of his station to be able to be able to do this with a woman like he saw it almost as like a a playful thing in his eyes i think i could talk at length about that that's just like one facet of the movie their interaction you also have matt damon who is from the get-go scarred yeah he's very scarred ruggedly handsome i think (laughs) as they say (laughs) they all have extremely funny hair in this like classic 1400s but he, he as well as Adam Driver both see themselves as the heroes kind of in their story. But what's interesting about him, about her husband, Matt Damon's character, from Jodie Comer's perspective, is that he is shown to be much more callous, much more uncaring. He's, He's a man who feels belittled and disenfranchised by the events of his life that have brought him to this point. And so he eventually pursues the duel to the death out of his own sense of honor and pride and not one of defending his wife's honor or virtue or whatever. It's not for her that he does these things. It's for himself. Yikes. And she tells him that in the third act. Yikes. And you you understand at that point that he is not doing this out of a good place uh, from the goodness of his heart. So it's really interesting by the end of the movie, not only is Matt Damon not the hero of the story, and Adam Driver is still very clearly the villain, but Matt Damon is not only not the hero, but he has this villainous quality to himself as well. And Mm. I I can spoil the very end of the, the duel for you. If that's all right. Yeah, I was going to ask who dies. So uh, true to history, it is Adam Driver that dies. He is defeated by Matt Damon, who is clearly shown in the movie to be the better fighter. Oh. Um, But but it's great drama. The fight scene is like the last 15 minutes of the movie, and it's very intense, very good. Is it in the rain, in the mud? It's in the mud. I don't think it was raining. But, you know, feudal Europe is always overcast and dark. Yeah. But when Matt Damon wins the duel and kills Driver, he parades his wife around, because she, she was at risk of being killed as well if he lost. Why? It's just the laws of the times. Because oh, she was basically like claiming something that isn't for a woman to claim? Uh,
1: she, she'd be known to be a liar or something like that?
0: Kind of, but the specifics of it is that the trial by combat, ideally, for these people, would be the result of it is the idea is that the champion of the trial is the one whose cause is just. The idea is that God caused them to win because they were the ones telling the truth. So if Matt Damon were to lose... yeah so I- this is like kind of like a spiritual element to it. Oh, religion is such a huge thing in this movie. Uh, Interesting. So I was saying if Matt Damon was to lose, the idea is that Jodie Comer would then have been believed to have been bearing false witness and mm-hmm. she would have been yeah burned alive basically. which she didn't know at the time, she wouldn't have really proceeded with the accusations if she had known she would have been killed. And also, once she gives birth to her child that uh, is unclear, I guess, it it is basically Adam Driver's child because she was never able to provide a son for Matt Damon, which is the whole reason he he married her. That's a whole other level to the movie. Anyway, at the end of the movie, Matt Damon, after winning the duel, parades her around as if he'd won a prize. It's not even about like her vindication. Right. It's like she's his property. And that's literally how they described in the movie. It's that the wife is like the property of the man and that Adam driver raping her was less about her and more about him affronting Matt Damon's property. And this, this was the last straw in a line of offenses, or at least perceived slights from the part of Adam driver towards Matt Damon over the course of the film. You see 15 years, 20 years of their life where Adam driver was like the able to Cain and Abel, and he was the favored squire who was being gifted all these things, and Matt Damon's character was always the one who was left in the cold and was losing parts of his estate and stuff like that. Even lost his inheritance, I think, to Adam Driver because Ben Affleck didn't like him very much. Ben Affleck handed Matt Damon's estate over to Adam Driver because he can do that because he's in charge. (laughs) They were not friends in this movie, which is funny because they've always been friends. But yeah, so this, this movie was super relevant for the times, especially in light of recent events over the last few years, pre-coronavirus with the Me Too movement. And it's incredibly poignant to see, I mean, they say art imitates life, but to watch it unfold and for it to be such a visceral experience and a layered experience to see while so much has changed, so much is also not changed for Civilization for humanity and the way we treat each other, specifically victims of sexual assault, that was huge. Not even to speak of the technical proficiency of this film. Like I said, really, Scott is still an amazing director and really knows how to sell a scene and a setting. It's just, it was a treat to watch him be back in form at his age. It's crazy. So what happened after Matt Damon's character paraded Jodie Comer's character around? Did she like reject him because... No, she couldn't. She has no standing in this world, basically, without Matt Damon as her husband, because he is the one who has a name and she is just his wife. But with him basically being victorious, she is allowed to resume her life as it were. Mm -hmm. And the last shot of the movie is right after that. There's like a five-year time skip or like a three-year time skip. And you see her sitting in a field on her estate with her son, who is now a few years older, having had just been born in the last scene. And she is just kind of there watching him, and the camera lingers on her face before it cuts to black. Because, like, one of the foils for her in this film was the mother of Matt Damon, who also at one point confides to her that she had been raped as a, as a young woman. But she had not said anything, because she's like, well, what could I... There's nothing I could have done, and I would have probably been killed if I had right. come forth. Right, right. So... Interesting. Jodie Comer, you know, she can't really reconcile that until she sees, because she's like, I have to do, this is my truth. This is what is right. I have to come forward with the truth that I was raped. But then once her child's born and she gets to look into her son's eyes as she's holding him, you know, right after giving birth, she's like, if I had known that I would have been, you know, if I could possibly be killed in this whole trial by combat thing, then I probably would have never have spoken out because I want to be here for this life, you know, that I just created. <laughs> So really quite a somber and sobering moment for not just that character, but for the audience to see, oh, wow, there's it's pretty fucked up, basically, the situation she finds herself in. But you're saying Ridley Scott's back with this. Oh, he's back. And I think he's going to kill it with House of Gucci. I'm so excited and I'm happy to have him because he's had, you know...
1: House of Gucci looks like a cross between like an Adam McKay film and Scorsese's like Wolf of Wall Street or something. Yeah. So like, I'm sort of excited to see if something good can come from Ridley Scott doing kind of like a movie like that, a story like that. Yeah. With like, very interesting actors playing interesting characters rather than just
0: yeah they're really getting into their characters it looks like and i i don't know if scott's made a movie like this before but i definitely think he can pull it off every time i watch that trailer i get actually a little more excited for it when i first saw it i was like oh whatever but lady gaga looks exceptional
1: i love lady gaga she's so good in american horror story season five Mm-hmm. she's super good and she's also really good in a star is born i didn't see it you didn't see it <laughs> no.
0: oh man i don't care for the Dude, you know, the country romance that movie is good yeah i know it's good i, I know i'd probably like it too like, but i just top didn't, tier film didn't it win no no that was a heartbreak for me because like out
1: of all the movies that were directed that year bradley cooper by far out directed everyone it oh was, he
0: directed that yeah
1: damn That's why it's worth seeing. That's why it's worth seeing. And it's like unreal. Yeah. He's good. She's good. And I'm excited to see... Gladiator 2.
0: Oh, yeah. Which is
1: insane to me. I
0: think he's doing something else even before that, isn't he? Probably. He's like the Clint Eastwood, I think... Ridley Scott, he's the one who's still delivering the quality at this point. I think it's uh, great that he's not in front of the camera, too. Like, Clint Eastwood will (laughs) act in his own movies. It's a shame to go out like that.
1: He's doing a couple movies, one called Queen and Country, and another one called Kit Bag. Yeah. Kit Bag is a Napoleon Bonaparte movie.
0: That's right. He's the one doing Napoleon, yeah.
1: And it's going to star Joaquin Phoenix and Jodie Comer again.
0: Such a rich character in our human history that I don't think anyone's ever really tackled before to this extent to make like a quality feature film out of so that'll be exciting I think Kubrick was working on that when he died right or was it from earlier in his career can't remember I think it was earlier and he just never ended up making it yeah I don't know before we cut to score cut to song I just want to say if you're listening to this and you like good movies I'm sorry I may have led you astray in the past I'm speaking to one person in particular who saw card counter and was like I hate this movie and I hate that guy who said card counter was good (laughs) He, you know who you are. He heard my sultry tones come in over the internet and he said, I got to see that movie. But this is a serious recommendation. The Last Duel is very good. Performances are incredible. All of the filmmaking is incredible. And the story is not only relevant, but it's very good. Very interesting way to tell a story. The dueling perspectives. No pun intended. Just, it's a little bit intense with the rape scene, which you do see twice. Again, it's not explicit, but it's very intense. So go in knowing that. It's two and a half hours long, but I cannot really recommend it enough, especially in a climate for the industry where, like I said, these quality movies are just kind of becoming less and less popular, even by acclaimed directors, because they just don't do very well at the box office, and they don't have a great way to make a return on the back end, so it's a shame that we keep getting Venom 2s and Halloween (laughs) Kills. Ziz. So go out and see this movie, or buy it on VOD when that happens and just support your local quality filmmakers support your local Ridley yeah he's 80 something and he's still churning out the bangers how does he do it he's drinking the blood of virgins or something <laughs> he has denounced it's too soon man too I don't know soon. if denounce is the right word but someone's developing an alien show and it's funny because he's like you'll never be as good as alien <laughs> and after like so many people are like your alien in the last 10 years has been rough <laughs> Really, you need to relax he's a great director so go see it don't see halloween kills go see the last duel
1: and here's a song from the original soundtrack
0: by the guy that did the music for Shrek he's more than that but yeah it's Harry Gregson Williams something like that and here it is
2: I have your attention, please.
1: So here's another revisit addendum. Addendum with Allie, my wife, because we both watched The Last Duel. Gabe's already seen it, obviously, because he just heard it. But we're here to talk about our thoughts on it really quick. Allie thought it was really important to be on this podcast when I told her I was going to do this by myself she said well you need a female voice on because the whole subject matter is dealing with rape and the most interesting part is from a female perspective and i said yeah we should wait to record with you our response to the last tool i thought the last tool was really good ridley scott uh, probably his best movie in 20 years since The gladiator uh, i agree with you on that kid I thought that, overall, the storytelling was also fantastic. The way that it kept your attention. When I when Gabe kind of originally told me the story of it, I was like, oh, they're going to rehash the same thing three times over. But it wasn't boring ever. It was pretty riveting and captivating the whole time that you're watching it, and it keeps you invested so much so that the movie lasts for two and a half hours. And for the first two hours, you're, you're just anticipating like what's going to happen next because, uh, it's such a gripping and compelling story because of the subject matter. And then the last 20 to 30 minutes is the actual duel itself. And that's amazing to see. And I feel like Ridley Scott almost is at his best when it's like ye old fighting style and there's yeah. a lot of blood
0: involved. The medieval knights just hacking at each other.
1: Yeah. But also, I mean like gladiator. Oh Yeah which is not medieval, but it's, you know, some sort of like fist and hammer fighting style where it's not guns or something. But no, I I really, really loved it. Obviously really intense. I feel like Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, they all did a fantastic job. Even Ben Affleck, uh, who has recently come out and said he did that movie because he didn't want to do Batman anymore and he just wanted to have fun. Uh, Had a lot of fun while on the set and it shows. I'm sure he did. It shows that he had fun. But Ali, what what do you have to say about it?
2: Yeah, a few thoughts come to mind. First and foremost, obviously, the subject matter is very heavy, and it could be triggering to a lot of people, um, whether you've been through something or not. That being said, I thought it was very clever the way that such intense subject matter was portrayed by using the three perspectives, especially... Considering it takes place in a patriarchal society. So Matt Damon playing her husband. I thought that was interesting. It, then it goes into the actual rapist perspective. And um, the way that he sees the act is very uh, naive in some ways. Almost jovial and playful. they there certainly lacks any sort of like actual crime in his perspective. And even like the way there's this one shot where it's very, um, it's very clear that it's completely different in their perspectives when she's basically running away from him up the stairs. And in his perspective, she kind of um, playfully flips off her slippers um, and then kind of almost twirls glides up the stairs smiling back at him and then in her perspective it's literally her
1: scrambling for her life
2: yes scrambling for her life like the shoes fall off as she's fumbling her way up the stairs so the perspective between the the rapist and and her were, was the most interesting to me um and the victim yes first and foremost the way that the the act the subject matter was displayed in the film by the three perspectives was very interesting and i think it is basically revealing um history in the fact that historically, it was typically the male's perspective that was held higher than the female's perspective in this type of act. And then that pointed to the other thing I thought was very interesting was this, you get this scene of her mother-in-law who is quite cruel um, to her Mm -hmm. throughout the film, where she basically says, like, you don't look at me like I was once young, like I was raped when I was young. But did I make a fuss of it? No. And then she basically said, because we're, we're... we're dealing with women who are higher class. And she, the mother-in-law says, do you think about the peasant women who, you know, men have their way with them all the time. And do they stand up? Do they make a fuss of it? No, this is just the way of things, Mm. basically she's saying. And so she's perpetuating this cycle and even her own trauma and burying it. Whereas you have this female protagonist in this time period the fact that this is a historical like account is is also really profound but she's actually standing up for herself and saying this was wrong yeah and that i think is one of like the i guess the most profound things about this story and this like historical account is that this woman in this extremely patriarchal time period has the courage to risk her life in the most gruesome of ways to tell the truth. Not only for her own vindication, but also for hopefully other women who are in this specific circumstance. Unfortunately, not the peasant women who probably never have any sort of opportunity. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that obviously stood out very strongly to me.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that a lot, a lot of those systemic issues are still happening <laughs> up until <laughs> recently yes. when we had a lot of, I guess you could call it accountability, you know, finally with the advent of like, had the whole Me Too movement. We probably talked about this beforehand, but like with social media, you can garner a following that it's funny how they approached it in the film. The last duel, they started. They had to spread rumors. You know, mm-hmm. there was that small council meeting where they had to say, "We have to just get the word of mouth out, yeah, to get people talking, to get the truth out there." Yeah, mm-hmm. and now we can do that more easily than ever. I mean, seven hundred years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, yeah.
0: Do you think that Adam Driver's character, who was the rapist in the film, do you think he actually believed he did something wrong, or do you think? in his mind, what he did was truly justified so that he would be, like, you know, really naive in this case? Or do you think it was all a malicious, like, misinformation campaign?
2: I think it was a mixture of feelings. Um, And so even when you watch his perspective of the act, yeah, there is, like, the illusion. There's obvious uh, delusion, I would say, of the fact that he thinks there's, like, this playful interaction that clearly, like was not present or this romantic connection like immediately when he like gets into the castle or wherever the estate immediately she is like i am married like what what are you doing but he basically completely ignores that with this like illusion that he they're in love and like, he's clearly smitten with her. He's clearly attracted to her. She's out of reach. And so he wants her. And I think there's a level of him being so caught up in this idealism and this desire. But I think there's also like a clear choice that he made when she, when he's literally, even in her, his perspective, it shows him holding her down and like pinning her down. Yeah. Like he has in in the film, like we're shown that recollection as well. So I think it's it's, unmistakable. Yeah, I think it's like a mixture of him being like caught up in this idealism of her and which is often the case with the desire. It's usually someone out of reach, like if someone's married or just, you know, you, you can't have that person. And then. That's coupled with the fact that, like, he did make a deliberate choice to like pin her down and hold her, and it was not consensual, even in in his recollection at that point. So I think there was multiple feelings involved in his case.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is our quick addendum to this episode. Again, we did this because previously only Gabe saw this movie, and we hashed it out in this episode, and then I finally saw it with Allie. So. Here
0: it is.